tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boostbytaxday to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Laura. 
it was a law that was very broadly, generally written, and uh, it allowed for patients to collectively or cooperatively get together and grow their medicine, and um, it had a provision for people to um, provide medicine to those who couldn't grow. You created this collective, and it was a model that uh, ultimately evolved into these dispensaries. And, you know, we went, I had a partner who I used to do real estate with and actually used to grow pot with in clandestine places. And uh, we opened this place up. We did everything we could to, to quote, follow the law, knowing very full well that we were blatantly violating federal law. We knew that going into it. And uh, we contacted several lawyers, paid them a lot of money to guide us to do everything correct, spot on correct. We even went to, um, you know, some of the advocacy activist organizations and, you know, participated with them in the hopes that they knew more about this stuff than we did. We knew about the plants, but we didn't know about, you know, the current state of everything. Everybody's all, oh, have you heard the latest, uh, whatever. We did everything we could to do it right. I can remember one time when we had re opened up early, uh, early on into the into this thing. Now, mind you, this was an old, uh, I don't know what it was, a barber shop. It was a massage parlor, I think, that that we took over and built it out. I built the, built the walls, hung the doors, built the countertops, and I did this all, you know, with my hands. And while we were, you know, building this thing, we were also building the business, building the, the collective, building the patient base. And I can remember in the very beginning, uh, this was in the city of Garden Grove in California. And now that my five-year statute of limitation with the feds is over, I can feel pretty comfortable about talking about this. And uh, I remember we had only been open maybe, I don't know, a month. And all of a sudden, uh, a cop comes walking up to the door, and it was the Garden Grove police. And uh, we had a small staff at the time, and I said, well, this is not Joe, Joe, there's a police here. All right, let's go see what's up. So I went up and answered the door, and he said, well, I'm with, uh, um, I don't remember, it was the planning department or the code enforcement or or something. And uh, But he was a cop, Garden Grove PD, and I uh had a choice to make. Now, I could have either gone hardline and said, you know, do you have a warrant? You don't get to come in here unless you have a warrant. I could have done that. But I always, I don't know, feel that if I can just talk to somebody, and if I'm righteous, and if I feel like I'm doing something right, I mean, if I'm trying to hide something, obviously that's another story, but I clearly wasn't hiding anything. I had a building with a sign that said who we were and what we were doing. So it wasn't, uh, it certainly was nothing to hide. Anyways, he comes in and, and, and I let him in. 
and I said, well, you know, how you doing? And I want to, you know, show you what we're doing in your city and how we're doing it and the professionalism we were, we were um, demonstrating and the fact that, you know, we were um, not reaching out to, you know, uh, an element that might be considered undesirable. We were, we were very, um, very professional in the way we did this. And we were also safe. I mean, you know, I think at the time that he came in, we may have, a, have had a guard, but we actually only had a security guard for a very short period of time. We determined that, you know, if somebody was going to come in and rob us, a security guard wasn't going to make a difference. In fact, might have made it worse. So, you know, we figured, you know, let's just have safe practices. We had a man trap. We had, we had, you know, physical barriers that would make it difficult or more difficult for somebody to just pound their way through and, and cause grief. Anyways, I walked this guy around and I showed him, you know, how we kept records. I showed him how we verified our, our clients, uh, made sure that they were qualified patients as the law allowed. Uh, made sure that we verified their um, residency, their ID was valid. We wouldn't let them in otherwise. And it was kind of rough because, you know, you did have a lot of people that, you know, would try to fudge things. We actually were militant about it. We made you actually have an original document, no copies, no little cards that some of the places would give you. You had to have your original uh, recommendation. You had to have your valid ID. Or you didn't come in. And every day there were people we turned away. So, you know, when later on I was actually accused of just being a drug dealer, uh, that part never got to be let in. The fact that, you know, if I was just being a businessman, just trying to only do business, and if that was the only thing that mattered, there's no way in hell I would ever turn away a client, right? Who would do that? But it didn't matter. Anyways, we sat down, and, and I showed him, you know, everything, really, how we did it. And he says, well, listen, i got to be honest. I really don't want you here. And I says, well, I'm sorry, <laughs> but we're here. And I said, you know, I don't mean to be a jerk, and I really would do anything that I could to make this be a better um, experience for you. And if there's anything that I can do to make this, easier for you, please let me know what I can do, but meanwhile, as far as I see it, we're allowed to be here, and, and we're allowed to do what we're doing, and we've done everything we can to be correct and compliant under California law. Well, subsequently, as you may or may not know, I was um, arrested, pulled over with all the contents of the collective in my vehicle because uh, we didn't have all of our safes and stuff built in yet, and ultimately charged with a whole bunch of felonies. And that case, after a year of going to court, I think it was 37 times I went to court on that case, was ultimately dismissed right before we were going to go to trial. And the judge um, dismissed the case with prejudice. And he, my lawyer at the time, uh, asked, re requested a return of property. And... Uh, asked the judge to issue a, an order, and the judge did. He put together an order that I had in writing, and it said that I, the owner of this, or one of the owners of this collective, had been found by a court of law to be 
in full compliance of all California laws that regarded this and was to be awarded a complete return of all my property. So you think that'd be great, right? Well, I did. We had a big old party, and I, I framed that thing, and I put it up on, you know, behind the counter. So, you know, if anything had gone wrong, I certainly would have, uh, you know, thought that might stop them. That might be a silver bullet. Um, well, it turned out they didn't give me my money back because they turned it over to the Fed, and they said, well, if you want that, you can go ahead and get it from the Fed. They did give me back all my pot and my concentrates and everything. They were a year old and not so good, but I got them back in these fancy um, evidence bags, and um, we actually brought them back out. and, and It was a novelty, but uh, we did we did uh, distribute them accordingly. Well, for any of you who know the story as it goes, um, I don't know. It was less than two months later. I was raided. And uh, I was, um, that's when the beginning of this nightmare started. Well, when I was raided at the time, I think we were serving upwards of 4,000 clients. People like to call them patients, but, you know, we're not doctors, so you can't have patients if you're not doctors. I know a lot of people like to talk about their clients and people they know as their patients, because they are patients, they're just not your patients. So anyways, these people who came to us as qualified patients, um, we had over 4,000 of them. And every single one of them was validated and verified to be a legitimate patient, um, had their legitimate doctor's uh, recommendation. We verified the doctors. We even verified that the doctor's licenses were good. We went so far out of our way to do this right. Well, ultimately, when I got raided um, and we got out of jail the next day and came back to the shop and looked at it, it was torn apart, destroyed. And we figured there was bugs left inside. There was. Uh, so we did a sweep, got rid of the bugs and the cell phones that were left there and patched it back together and opened back up. By popular demand, our clients demanded that we open back up because we were the only place around that was like we were. There were some places in Long Beach and there were some places in Santa Ana, but for the most part, they were skeevy. They were they were catering to a less than desirable uh, demographic, and they weren't you know clean and professional the way we were. Well, when everything went down. Ultimately, uh, we had already started the human solution at this time because uh, my case, we were doing court support and out of the court support that we gathered from my case and for a few others that we had learned about, um, ultimately, and I've told this story many times, we, we, we started this organization. And uh, so by the time we got raided, we were already an organization. Well, I had, I don't know how many people, I'd say over a thousand people that had pledged their undying support. We're with you. We're with you till the end. Even my employees and volunteers that work there locked arms and we're in this forever. 
Never going to give up. Never say die. Well, I don't know if you've ever seen the picture of when they finally dismissed my case, but there was probably about 12 people in that picture. And there would have been more had I done a big call out because I didn't see that one coming. But of the people that were patrons of our collective, there was just a handful that stuck around. And even the people that worked for us and volunteered for us and were the original people with the Human Solution International, hell, they didn't even come to court most of the time. Once in a while they did, but certainly not every day, and certainly most of them wouldn't even testify. A few did, a couple did. So people are more often than not, and I have to say out of a cross-section of that, out of 4,000, there was a handful, and I mean less than 10, that actually stuck by at all in any way, shape, or form. None of them really diehard did. A couple of them on the edge of that, but that's it. There was a kid that I mentored. I took into my arms and, 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 and helped him, let him come to my house and literally took him under my wing and he was depressed and had all these problems and and I helped him and raised him up and no, he couldn't even come to court. I, I could go on and on about all the things that didn't happen. But there was this one person and as we were we were operating uh, before we had gotten raided, uh, we we come to find out that there was a lot of people that were our target demographic. And our target demographic were people that needed this plant, that needed it, okay? I didn't care what you looked like. I didn't care how old you were. I didn't care how young you were. I didn't care anything. None of those things mattered. I had, I had people that were 80-year-old people that were cancer patients recommended to us by an oncologist, and I had people that were kids had to come in with their mom because they were, um, you know, cancer patients and, um, you know, their mom decided that this was all right. I knew I was taking a chance because I don't know if you guys all know the story of Charlie Lynch, but that was one of the things they hooked him on was that, you know, he was servicing uh, some underage people. But we always made sure that if there was an underage person, there was only a handful of them, but we always made sure that if we did that, there was uh, – always a parent with them uh, or guardian, and they had the, uh, the proper, uh, what do they call it, uh, primary caregiver paperwork. And that's just how we did it. Well, one day, this girl comes in, and I could tell that, you know, she was afflicted with something, and I didn't know what it was right off the bat, but she had a, a kind smile, and, uh, you know, she said her name. And uh, she didn't have a lot of money, but she was here to get some medicine. Well, Tracy and I uh, became friends, and um, during the course of, of this whole ordeal, um, you know, we stayed open for a while. I stayed with it as long as I could, and... You know, my partner and I were always getting into uh, getting into it with each other because I would I would give away a lot of pot. 
and people would come and they would, uh, you know, have only so much money, and I would make sure that they walked out of there with, with, with enough. And you know, I'd, I'd do what I could. You'd always get some things that you get a good deal on, and you get a lot of, a lot of medicine for your money, and other things um, you had to pay top dollar for. And I would always take these. Uh, you know, ones that were that were reasonable. We 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 had a lot of latitude on it. Hey, you guys want to do the show? Hey, you know, falling over. Hey, this is Tracy. Hey, Evan. Oh my gosh. You know when um, it's so funny. I can't. I'm thinking of I love Lucy. Yeah, TV land. Yeah, yeah, you're out here in TV land. Or video land, anyway. Oh, my gosh. This is the best guy in the whole wide world. And he's got me laughing. My goodness, through his thick ass skin. I met him during the sick. That was before the sick. We were all right when you met him. You know, it's the other way around. It's the other thing. introductory story, Tracy, and then you guys can get situated. So, Tracy would come in, I don't know, about once a week or so, and she'd have so much money to spend, and I'd always make sure she had, you know, what I thought was enough of what we could get. But most people that I found that were the most ailing, the most uh, afflicted with whatever, they always seemed to be on a fixed income. I never had hardly anybody that was suffering some really bad issue, and they had lots of money to spend. They were always the ones that, you know, were, were, were needy for medicine but didn't have much to offer. So I said, you know what, we're making enough to do this. We just make sure that the people that need it get it. That was our policy. Well, the other thing that we did was we, we grew clones, little baby plants. And I figured to myself, when you grow a plant, it's also very therapeutic, and it helps, it fixes you. I don't know, they, they say this plant is not um, um, addictive, but growing it is. And I, you know, would have to agree with you. It, through all of this mess and nonsense, um, I've always managed to keep a few plants growing at whatever the risk. And... So it came to a point where Tracy came here and she said, I want to grow a plant. So we gather a couple of clones and, uh, you know, she'd take care of them. And every now and again she'd come by and or call up and say, hey, I've got some issue with this plant. Can you come and look at it? And, you know, she lived not too far away from where the shop was. So I'd go out there and take a look at her, take a look at her plant, see what we could do or she would, uh, it would be almost ready, or she'd think it was ready, and can you come and tell me if it's ready to pick, and how do I dry it, and all these questions, and so we, but I figured, what the heck, if you're going to do this, you might as well do it right, right, so. Exactly, yes. So that's what we did, well. I needed tutelage. A little tutelage, yeah, just a little. 
And uh, so Tracy's mom was very gracious and, and always allowed, uh, you know, me to come on over there. And, um, you know, it's just, uh, it was always a, uh, a positive experience. Well, then I got busted. And this is the part where, like I said, I had a thousand people that had signed a paper saying they were there in support for us. And then court started, and that number got small real fast. And then we finally were able to um, present witnesses after we won in the appellate court. And I thought that number was going to be huge because we had all these people and all these wonderful people that we helped so much. Yeah. Uh, well, not so much. But Tracy, she said, I'll testify for you. And when the time came, um, she came in in a wheelchair and went up there, and uh, she testified. And I can still remember, <laughs> I, was, I think she was the only one. The prosecutor didn't have anything to say. She, The prosecutor didn't, uh, I think she asked you a couple of questions, but they were really nothing. So um, that was one of the things, you know, my friend Wanda, who just passed away not too long ago, she testified for me, and, and that put her in a very special place in my world. Um, you see Kathy Z behind you. She's the one, one of the two that bailed my ass out of jail. Laura is on the YouTube feed right now, and and if it wasn't for those two, I wouldn't have made it the way I did. I guarantee you. And there's so many people that you know helped me along the way that helped me be able to fight. You know, you think, oh, I'm just going to fight. Well, who's going to pay the bills? Who puts food over your, you know, in your mouth and and pays the electrical bill? Well. Turns out people stepped up and helped. But when it comes to fighting a case, um, you have to have people willing to testify. And um, unfortunately, most of the people that could have testified that would have been some of the best witnesses were nowhere to be seen. But Tracy was. So here it is, 10 years later, and Tracy is... Um, still in my life, yeah. and she's still a friend, and she's actually staying over for a few days, hanging out with the gang. Yeah. <laughs> incredible. So. And, and you guys, it's like from going on the black side of the yin to traveling to the white side of the yin, and just being around Liz and Joe, I am blessed. And, and there's others around me that I am, the, the universe is blessing me, you know. Life is hard, but these people make my life so much easier amongst all that hard stuff. So I, I treasure them forever. Absolutely forever. <laughs> well, one of the things I wanted to talk about was you know, we talk about these legal legalization and we talk about these legal dispensaries and these battles between the legal dispensaries and the illegal dispensaries. And, you know, Tracy, you live on a fixed income, right? You don't you don't have giant uh stock dividends coming at you. You're not living large in a in a fancy house with the servants taking care of you and ordering mm -hmm. lobsters and steaks for all your friends every day. Uh SSDI allows me to live and 
I was I was thrilled that they came through. This is Craig Cecil, who's cur- currently serving a life sentence in prison. No, not the church. He calls me every week. So we're going to talk to Craig for a couple of minutes. A federal prison. This call is being recorded and the subject monitoring. Hang up to decline the call. Craig Cecil, how are you doing today? Hello, Joe. Well, uh, things are changing rapidly here. That's why I haven't sent you a message as to what's going on because the story is changing so drastically every day. But the Federal Correctional Institution at Terre Haute is. Uh, I guess very interesting at the moment, and uh, hopefully it's going to get safer, but we, we don't know if it's going to get more dangerous before it does. Well, what, what has happened? Well, as you know, we had a rash of uh, staffers beating up inmates. Right. Well, then they, then that, uh, right after we spoke, uh, our, a lot of our claims or complaints about staff beating up inmates, the claims just disappeared. Whoa. Uh, right after we spoke, they, they openly admitted that they're just going to destroy them. They will not allow us to file them. They will not allow us to mail them out. Wow. They will not allow us, you know. It, it, it's kind of a tough situation when they control, you know, everything you mail, they get to read. And, um, so it made it tough. For the, so now over the last few days, more and more people are pushing back, and we, we're not sure if it's going to change or not at this point. Wow. Well, hopefully, you know, it seems as we've, as we've noticed over the years that when something gets brought to light, when people are aware that other people are aware of it, that seems to be when change starts to happen. So maybe that's what's happened is there's been enough, uh, enough people saying something about it that maybe they realize that something better change or it's going to change, you know. I believe it has because I, I got pulled out of work today by what's called the Special Investigative Services. <laughs> and this isn't even the ones from here at the prison. They're from the, the penitentiary across the street. And the question is that they said that they were sent by the complex warden to ask me and confirm with me that I have not in any way been uh, uh, retaliated against or uh, that I've had any threats or retaliation regarding my push to try to fix this system of staff beating up inmates. So at least they're sensitive to, to you know, that there's somebody looking over their shoulder, I believe. Wow. Wow. Well, that, I mean, it, it, it sounds eerily optimistic. I don't know that I would feel entirely comfortable, but it sounds at least like you say, somebody's, Somebody's aware of something, and I think people are less likely to cause a bunch of harm when somebody's watching. Correct, and I've, I've written a bunch of media outlets, and I, I have a feeling some of them contacted here, and they, they don't like that. <laughs> well, that's what we like is, is um, you know, getting a hold. I saw actually an article in the BBC uh, about uh, the, the Cuban guy, Vescaro, that just got out. And it was a long article, and it it was uh, it was in the BBC. Blew me away. And then there was a, a big article about um, uh, Michael Thompson. Now Michael hasn't been released or anything, but it showed a very aggressive light on the disparity between Michigan.
Oregon, which is a state that allows for recreational and medical cannabis, and this guy that's serving 40 to 60 years in prison for cannabis. <laughs> and it was a it was a well written article, and uh, you know uh, this is something that uh, you know Michael and I are, are kind of like you and I. We've been working you know for many years trying to make a difference, and um, you know Dee Dee Kirkwood has been a an instrumental part in all the stuff that's going on. Actually, I'm going to be doing a call to action for him as well uh, later in the show. So um, you know, I, Fall Free I guess got released too. So. The uh, the number of, of of lifers is getting a little smaller, but the fact that there's any is too many. So you just got to say to yourself, and and the most recent one wasn't that long ago, and that's the whole idea that tells me that you know there's these sort of dog and pony shows going on where some of these you know old timers have been let go. Which I mean, God bless them, they should be. Everybody should be, but. The fact is, people think, unfortunately, that, well, everything's okay now, we're good, it's just a matter of time, and they don't realize that there's still people getting sentenced to long sentences, even, you know, very recently. That's true, that's true. As you know, I mean, that there's still federal marijuana arrests going on. It's still, um, last I've seen, 17% of federal drug arrests are still marijuana uh, based uh, offenses. Exactly. So, I mean, that, that's almost a festival. Exactly. And that's, you know, that's that's the message I've been trying to really get out loud and strong is that we're not done. You know, we're just not done. We have so much work to do, and, and you know, everybody's chasing their business now. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy that rather than finish the job and make it to where we're, we're – a place where you don't have that fear anymore. You know, I was just telling the story. I have with me a, a dear friend of mine. Her name's Tracy, um, and she actually was one of the witnesses in my trial. She testified on my behalf, and she suffers from MS, and she's, um, you know, had a hard time talking and walking and, and doing some of the things that, that many of us find as, as easy to do. And I was just telling the story of how she, you know, got up on the stand and, testified for me. Well, here we are, um, you know, eight years later, and she's, we're still friends. She's actually sitting right here with me uh, doing the show together. Fantastic. And I think we both know uh, that most people are shocked to find out that people like Lance did, uh, you know, he was a, a marijuana store proprietor, and uh, that's the whole reason he's now sitting in federal prison. Most most people would think that that's impossible. Well, that's, uh, and it's not just him. Uh, Aaron Sandusky, Charlie Lynch, all of these guys, um, you know, and there's more of them. Uh, Luke Scarmazzo, uh, Dustin Costco. All those guys were running medical marijuana shops that were um, considered to be compliant under California law at the time. And it just didn't matter. They still served sentences, decent long ones. Now, one thing I, I would kind of see what, what you think about is that uh, vote they had yesterday in Colorado to uh, at least partially or, you know, to some degree decriminalize uh, psilocybin uh, mushrooms or shrooms, I guess, as people call them. Yeah. I kind of, I, I have to be honest, I had some reservations about that. 
Well, you know, here's the deal, Craig, and this is where I've always taken a very strong stand. I don't think that there should be any restriction on any substance that you take into your body. I think the restriction should be on what you do. And if you put yourself in a position where you cause harm to yourself or somebody else, then that should be the problem. You know, I'm, people take all kinds of heavy narcotics and, and all kinds of medications that render them useless, like they could not do anything. And there's no problem with that as long as they don't try to go out and do something. But the second you get behind the wheel of a car and you are and you are truly impaired, which we could test for, we could show, um, or if you're getting behind machinery or you're getting out there in a in a place where you could slip off the Grand Canyon or, or fall off a bridge or something, well, then that becomes the issue, not the substance, but your action. I think, unfortunately, that would just take way too much common sense, and we just don't live in a world where it seems that that, that that wants to take root. So, you know, I'm always going to err on the side of freedom and then, you know, figure out uh, consequences for actions. That's where I stand on it. But I definitely could see, you know, a reservation about, you know, somebody getting all baked on mushrooms and then what are they going to do? But I guess that's the point of it all is what are you going to do and where are you at? And, you know, are we are we going to give ourselves enough credit for being responsible adults? Or are we going to be forever, um, you know, living in a nanny state because we're not capable of making adult choices? I agree. I agree because the libertarian side of me says, you know, I want the government out of just about every aspect of mine and everybody else's life. Yeah, I have a pretty strong libertarian side myself. I, uh, You know, it, it, the thing of it is, is, I'm so disgusted with the current state of politics on on both sides of it. I just wish that we could get a third-party strong enough candidate to get up there and just shake the tree loose and have, you know, enough people with common sense that says, you know what, these poor bastards on either side of the wall are just crazy, and all they want to do is kill each other. Why, why don't we have somebody who actually cares about the people? Because we don't seem to have that. Yep. Unfortunately, I think they end up becoming an enemy then. Like, the, unfortunately, what's happening to President Trump in a lot of ways? They want to they wanna put his taxes out and make them public, not because they suspect anything is wrong, but rather because they just want to, you know, dig around and see what they see and things like that. And I mean, exactly. That seems like a punishment against the person for no reason whatsoever, only because, you know, he's not telling the same line they are. They just let them out, and that's it. That's all they care about. And, you know, it's it's unfortunate that our politics have devolved to that. And it's it's, it's funny because I run around with a lot of different people, and I, I, I know people that are Trump supporters and Trump haters, and the haters are so vehement about their hatred, and the supporters really don't say anything about it. And I don't know, you know, you know how I think. I think they're all a bunch of crap, and I wish that we could just get – you know, like I said, a third party that wasn't influenced so much by either side of these political machines that have gotten so big, and they're so beholden to these giant corporate entities, and that's the part that we can't seem to get away from. You know, both sides, you look at the record of, of influence of both sides in the last 10 elections, and it's all these big, giant corporate monsters that are pulling the strings, and these guys are just puppets anymore.
I agree. I agree because so much of it is political. I, I think a lot of people see a problem with our immigration system and our asylum system, but everybody's afraid to, you know, go after some sort of law because it's it's going to alienate some group of people. You know, employers like cheap labor, so I mean they're going to be, you know, angry about you know cutting down on some immigration. You know, whereas other people. You know, maybe you're mad about, you know, tax dollars uh, going to immigrants, both, you know, legal and illegal, legal, so they'll want to curtail that. And there, there's, it just seems like uh, to so many politicians it's a lose-lose, so they, they don't show any leadership and make any decisions. Exactly. Well, you know, it's a funny thing because I know a lot of people that are very progressive-minded and, and very left-wing Democratic type folks, and and they believe that you know the the corporations are are you know the greedy bastards, and they're taking advantage of everybody and everything, and they're ruining the world. And you know they believe that things should be shared, social equity, and there should be you know everybody should pay their fair share of this. But then the other side of this is okay. So say we do that, and we say all right, corporations, you know you can't get out of your tax breaks. You have to pay these exorbitant taxes, and they can't make any money. Well, who the hell is going to want to do that? You know, if you're a corporate, uh, if, if you're driven to be a corporate king of some sort or another, your whole goal is to be successful. And if it gets made so that your success all of a sudden hits a tipping point and poof, now you have to be a failure in order to be a success, who would do that? You know, you would all, all these big corporations would leave and they'd go, some place where they could be successful, and that's you know unfortunately it's a it's a paradox. There's there's you know all these great ideas of we need to you know have these big safety nets and help everybody. Hey, I'm all for that. I don't think anybody should suffer, but Americans have historically been one of the most generous people on the planet. Even though we don't have a good safety net, we take care of our own. We take care of others, and if it wasn't for the generosity of the American people. The whole world would be in a world of hurt right now. And and granted, we cause a lot of problems. Hey Craig, I'm rambling. You got your first beep already. I'm gonna turn it over to you. Okay, well you know we, we talked a bunch last week and I'm telling you now that things are changing a little bit as it comes to uh staff assaulting the inmates here, but uh I'd like to over the next few days, you know, maybe if it if the changes slow down a little bit, you know, put a message out on the, uh, through the uh, website and let people know what's happening here. And I, I hope it's not happening at other places where staff, is, you know, they're having trouble hiring staff. They're hiring staff that just isn't that good. And we're, we're getting a lot of inmates beat up. And they're not firing staff because they can't replace them. You know, we, we, I think we need to shine a light on, you know, so many inmates getting hurt by staff. If you send it, I will get it published. I can assure you that. Well, thank you, thank you, and thank you for shining a light on, you know. So, for anybody who is new to this, Craig Cecil is currently in federal prison. And Craig Cecil is serving a life sentence in federal prison. And they call it life without possibility of parole because that's how the federal penitentiary system is set up. There is no parole in federal prison like this. Okay, so anybody who ever gets paroled, they're state prisoners. Federal prisoners, no parole. So, Craig Cecil, in a world where people are making money and 
going public with their companies, selling stocks and and uh, squabbling over are you licensed or not licensed, this and that and the other thing. Pot is everywhere. It's got the price of pot has gone down by two hundred percent in the last four years. Craig's in prison. Craig's in prison for the same thing. And what did Craig actually do? Yeah, Craig didn't even have pot. He didn't do nothing. He, he, he's a he's a truck repairman who, uh, in addition to all of his other trucks, he fixed. He fixed some trucks that were uh, used by smugglers, and they built these fake panels in their trucks, and they smuggled their pot and whatever else, and they brought them to Craig to put the trucks back together. That's what he was guilty of. But anybody who knows the 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 legal system, the so-called justice system, when somebody gets busted, they rat. They rat on it most typically. And they rat on everybody that's around them, and then they go and bust those guys, and they rat on everybody that's around them. And every once in a while, somebody decides, hey, wait a minute, I'm not ratting because I didn't do anything wrong. And I'm not cooperating with you. Well, the second you don't cooperate, um, things get ugly. Well, it worked out with the sentencing laws that had changed around that time and um, the conspiracy laws which allow for if you are in any way party to a big operation like was happening even though you may not know anything about the workings of it you may not have anything to do with the actual crime part of it but you're complicit because you had something to do with something that had to do with it you are guilty of conspiracy crimes and that's what they got Craig on. And when you get busted for a conspiracy, you are facing the same penalties as the actual crime. And that's how it works, folks. Aaron Sandusky, he got hit on conspiracy. When we found that he was not guilty on the actual charges, we were all excited. We thought maybe maybe it was going to be okay. Then they hit him on the conspiracy charges, and he served 10 years. He's still in prison right now. Um, all right. So we've got... Right, we're burning through this show fast. We got uh, 15 minutes to go, and we got three things I want to do. I got Pete Yapel on the line, and Pete just was part of a big old march in New York. We got Glenn Keeling on the line, and he was just part of a event yesterday, and he's got some updates. And then I want to talk about Michael Thompson. There was this great article uh, in the newspaper in a, in a I don't remember exactly where it was published, but it was brought to my attention. I read it. It was a really long and in, involved article. And Michael Thompson and I have been working together for, I don't know, hell, five years, maybe six years, something like that. It's been a while. And uh, another ridiculous case, a horrible case, a good guy that happened to have some pot. He was selling some pot. I, I think he had a couple of pounds. And he ends up, because of a crappy DA and a crappy judge that just had it in on him. He happens to be a black guy in uh, in Michigan, and uh, I think it was his his wife or his ex-wife. His wife, I think, had a had an old gun that didn't even work, and they hit him on on these um, enhancement charges. And he had gotten busted before for selling a small amount of pot. They slapped it all together, and he ends up with this ridiculous um, sentence. And we thought for the longest time that we had a way out because he's got a nephew who's a state senator. And we really thought that, you know, we had this plan and we were going at it and we were, we were talking to this guy. I personally spent hours on the phone talking to this guy. And 
Uh, it came to a place where I just was unable to put so much time into it. And a dear friend of mine, Dee Dee Kirkwood, took over. And she's been working intensively with Miko, Michael. Uh, they call it Miko. Anyways, um, and we've gone after this from multiple different, uh, multiple different ways. And uh, recently we've engaged the, the services of, a, of a Nadia Fisher who uh, is hopefully and supposedly going to be able to, to do some good, but I'm not quite sure what the update is. So I'm hoping if I bring Didi up, she can give us an update on what's going on with Nadia. But most importantly, what I want to do is do a new call to action. I want to do a conference call and see how many people we can get together once again. It's been a while. We did this before years ago, and we had a lot of people working on it. We had a good plan, or so we thought. Um, and I'd like to put together another plan and revisit this. And, you know, we have people from a number of different organizations now. And who knows, maybe we can find some common ground to work together. So um, I don't want to uh, spring it on, Dee, Dee but um, the last call before, if Corby comes on or doesn't, it will be a call before Corby. I'd like to bring Dee, Dee up and get a get an update, see what's going on with Miko. All right, uh, so we're going to start off with Gwen Keeling, and then we'll go to Pete, and then Dee. Dee. Gwen Keeling with... She's not biologically Green. mine, but she's my daughter. In Ohio. So that's why. Hey, Glenn. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Who's in here? Hello? Glenn. Hello. Yes. You're live on the air. Hey, I'm sorry. I was talking. How are you guys tonight? Thanks for having me on. That's all right. I was talking too. It's okay. We do that. <laughs> awesome. I uh, just want to give an update. Um, they're they're filming us doing a, a documentary on what's going on here in Ohio, the un, the unfairness and what's going on with Peggy's in my case. And of course, you know we're 19 months into our case with still no headway, um, kind of still at a standstill. We went over today to uh, the office to uh, my marijuana card and gave a small um, educational course over there. I think that it's going to become a monthly thing going there to. Uh, Mo Bronson, my medical card, just give a shout out for him. Um, but yeah, uh, I listened to you and Craig and, and talking, and that's pretty much what I was talking about today. Is you know the, the all around us, the, you know, the cannabis is being legalized, and uh, with, with legalization, you know, of course, you know, Joe and, and I know that that comes with no whole list of of other horrible consequences that you know that we do, as adults don't really need. Um, we were talking that, you know, you know, even though that places are legalizing and, and recreationally, there is still people serving time in prisons all around. And, and you know, we, we can't forget about those guys that are serving life in prison, not even life, just any time at all for, for a plant is unnecessary. Um, 10,000 years of, of being on this earth and it's never killed anybody, but yet you jail them for that. Um, he was reading that there's a couple of people that, uh, a bus driver in Columbus, Ohio, near us, um, raped a 14-year-old uh, girl, uh, one of his bus kids that he picks up. He's going to get, um, oh, it's in New York. Sorry, I thought it was in Columbus. New York, either way, he's going to get 10 years of probation and will not have to register after that. He raped a 14-year-old girl and only gets away with probation. 
Peggy and I were only possession of our medicine, and we're looking at over 50 years. Throw that on a scale and show me where the balance of fairness is. Um, yeah. I don't know what to it's say. No, I mean, it's, it's unfortunate that the violent crimes um, are treated with, uh, I don't know, a different set of rules. You know, Craig Cecil's always said, if you could just treat me like a like a rapist or a, or a, a violent criminal, I would be more likely to get out than where he's at right now. And that's unfortunately the the world we're living in right now. And uh, you know, it, it's such a it's such a conundrum and a paradox because we've got all these states and they're you know doing all these legalization and and recreational and, and medical laws, and yet you still got people getting locked up right and left, and the people that are locked up aren't getting let out. Right. There, there is no, there's no fairness in it. And, you know, I, I touched a little bit on, you, you know, the, the war on drugs it isn't a war on drugs itself. It, it's an actual, it's, it's a war on people. It's a war on sick people and people with an addiction. You you can pull up and and I know that you guys have heard it before. You can pull up any county jail in any area in any state of, of the United States, and ninety five percent of them people in there because they're an addict because they got busted with meth or they got busted with heroin or they got busted with a needle or they had a little bit of cannabis in their pocket. Majority of them, I mean, are the the war on drugs. It targets sick people and and, and Addicts, there, there is losing. It's a losing war. Oh, it's true. It's true. And you know, we got a a number of people that I'm working with, and, and Pete Yaples working with a group in New York, and I've been working with a number of people that um, you know are, are are using cannabis therapy to help addicts get off of of, of hard drugs. And, uh, you know, we're working with a number of people uh, and, and successfully most of the time. So it's, it's, it's crazy. You know, when I was locked up, that was the biggest thing. There was heroin junkies and meth heads that were coming and going all, you know. There, during the time I was there, there was one guy came in twice. He came in, he got out, and he came back in again. And I'm like, wow, I'm an old-timer now. <laughs> crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty. I I was in, I was only locked up at 27 days um, in the county jail here, but in those 27 days, I seen the same guy twice myself. Um, for for meth, um, got out, did a sign, went and right straight to the meth house, and he was back in. I think two or three days later, he was back for the same thing. Um, yeah, you, you know, cannabis. You serve more time for a plant. Than you do literally almost any other crime. You you could literally kill somebody and do ten years of prison time and be out. Oh, I know, I know, it's crazy. And, and we talk about we cite cases all the time about you know heinous crimes that that people are let off sometimes with very minor sentences. And you know you you have victim statements, you have victims' family, you have you have, you know, a whole wake of destruction that comes from a violent act. And yet all of these cannabis crimes, at least all the ones I've been to, and I've been to a lot of courthouses, and I've seen a lot of sentences, I've never, ever, in a cannabis case, seen a victim 
or a victim's family come forward to make a statement? Not even once. Right. I don't. I don't. I've never seen a, a victim yet, and I've been to quite a few cases myself. Um, thing is, you know, I the thing we want to stress is, is education. You know, know your laws and know your rights, and, and if you don't. It's pretty easy to Google, and, and if you don't want to Google, there is a Human Solution International chapter near you. All you have to do is simply reach out to one of us because trust and believe we're going to listen and we're going to help you with whatever you need. Um, without you reaching out, we, we can't do nothing to help you guys. Listen, my name is Glenn Keeling. My wife is Peggy Kimmel. We're really easy, and you can find us anywhere on Facebook. We are the Creative Care Beacon, the Ohio chapter of the Human Solution International. My phone number is 419-863-0498. I will help you, and so will anybody else on the call. So true, so true. Well, thank you, Glenn. And remember, folks, even if we don't have an active chapter near you and you have a case, we'll help you build one. That's how we got the Ohio chapter. Glenn and Peggy had a case that our Ohio chapter had been disbanded years ago because of lack of people participating, but we rebuilt it, and uh, it's better than ever. So um, it only takes a couple of people, and we have a whole national team that will get behind you and help, and it's not hard to operate a chapter of the Human Solution. You see a couple of people that care, willing to uh, get knowledgeable, um, share information, and be there to support each other. That's all it really takes. Right on. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Glenn. Well, really appreciate you being here. We'll talk to you tomorrow on the call, and uh, and we'll keep on go- going. Creative Care Beacon Chapter in Ohio, folks. All right, we got Pete Yapel from the Solidarity Over Separation Chapter in New York, and uh, – Pete and his wife, Helen, are just uh, maniacs. These two are <laughs> activist maniacs. And I watched these guys just run circles around any 10 people I know in the last year, as far as the activist world goes. And so uh, how's it going? You guys just moved? How's everything going? It's always going great, Joe, especially when I get to sit down for a few minutes and talk on your show rather than have to talk for two hours on mine. <laughs> No, but I can. It's it's simple to do. It's simple to do because there's so much wrong, but there's a lot going right too. And there people are doing some things. And uh, we got to speak uh, in March at the New York City Cannabis Parade this past weekend. Uh, we represented solidarity. We carried our banner. We cheered down the whole road, uh, screamed and yelled, and spoke. And uh, the crowd was totally uh, receptive. It's all over YouTube on everybody's channels and everything else, which is incredible too, because we're, you know, spreading the organization and continually educating and getting people on board. But, you know, tonight we taught our class that we teach in Fort Jervis. Uh, We've got our class coming up in a couple of weeks in Sugarloaf. Um, You know, we're constantly teaching. We're constantly out there educating. We're sitting at town board meetings. We're putting influence within the community. We're healing the whole city of Fort Jervis. I mean, Pete, we did tonight, we did, uh, we do on Wednesday nights, we do what's called Soups On, uh, where everybody, anybody that wants can come in and have a meal. They can sit down with their family and have some soup or a hot plate of food, a lot of times with some, you know, with a salad. And at least we know people are getting fed. And as they're eating, then we get up and Helen and I educate and we explain the endocannabinoid system and we treat people right there. I mean, if somebody can't afford it, 
we're going to treat them. You know, we, we just we don't want to see people suffer and be ill. Um, we've got actually a, a, a Vietnam vet. His name is uh, Ronnie Stet, uh, Stretchick, and and he goes by the name Banjo. And Banjo is a uh, also a, uh, a a trustee at our TV sh- station where we put on our local access TV show. And uh, Banjo is probably the one of the most intelligent, beautiful men I've ever met in my life. He, he's just a wonderful guy. He got a great heart. And but from Vietnam, you know, and the PSPD, and he believe me, this man comes from his fa- grandfather was is documented was the first man to set his foot on the on the sands of Normandy on D-Day. Uh, uh, you know, well decorated. His father too. So he comes up from a long line. So, Stregic, yeah, that's his name. He, so he he uh, you know he but he's you know battling this you know constant battle in his head you know and has been for years. And he's been treating and we've been treating him for the last three weeks. He's you know he he now rides his bike and tows a trailer behind it where he goes around. You know he's active. He's at the classes. He's you know, he was on our show. He's picked up his guitars again. And this man's played with Arlo Guthrie. He played all over Woodstock. I mean, he's an mu- incredible musician. Uh, you know, to see him come to life is, is, is incredible. And getting off of all that. Yeah, we're documenting it all. And, and, and not only that, he gets off that plethora and long list of medications that the VA just loves to shove down these guys' throats. Um, so, you know, that, that's, that's, a, that's just a personal project because he's such a good friend. But every single day, guys, every from the moment I get up in the morning, I load my now. Listen, I love living in my new house, by the way. I'm going to brag about that a little bit. <laughs> I mean, it is gorgeous here, Joe. You're going to fall in love when you get here. It's four acres of woods, man, a 200-foot-long driveway, man. You know, but, you know, my mornings have changed now. You know, I load my pellet stove. I empty my compost toilet. You know, I walk around my property, my coffee, and talk to the animals, you know, and I enter the world a little bit differently. And I think that I think that if we all can get away from that hustle and bustle and take a step back, then we can see that we do have some time. You know, during that time, man, I'm thinking about what I'm going to do for the day, what congressman I'm going to call, who I'm going to talk to. You know, uh, uh, we're, we're always trying to be in front of someone that's going to make a difference, you know, uh, um, I, I, the, the Facebook thing was great in the beginning. It really was. Uh, you know, we, we stirred up a lot of uh, a lot of interest and grew a you know grew a base of people that we've educated and learned and follow with us and now have taken that. But Facebook isn't going to do it in the real world. Like like uh, Glenn was saying, we're, we got that case here in New York, Watertown, where the bus driver admitted admitted went to court and sat on the stool and said. I took her on the bus. I got her drunk. I took her to my home. I raped her. I brought her home. He got 10 months or 10 years probation. 10 years probation. That's it. Not a lick in jail. The 70-year-old cancer patient in the same town, 70-year-old man fighting cancer legally with a medical card from the state of New York, bought wax from his dispensary here in New York. The state's little pharmacy that we have to buy from because that's what we're forced to do. He w- bought it from there, handed it to the police officer when he was pulled over with his card, and said – the cop looked at him and said, you are going to jail. And he kind of half laughed because he thought, what do you mean I'm going to jail? He's a 70-year-old guy. You know, I got my card. I went and I did what I was supposed to do. Sure enough, he's being sentenced in October. 
That 70-year-old man that's dying of cancer will die in jail because of a screwed-up system that we, the people, allow and continue to allow to happen. The, the, the same thing. Look at that guy, that cop in Texas that raped that girl. He rapes the girl in school, a girl. He's getting oral sex from children in school. He gets five years probation. Five years doesn't have to register as a sex offender, and if the five years he does his probation without any fault, it's expunged from his record. You tell me how that's justice. You tell me how in this country we'll allow our children to be raped, we'll allow our women to be raped, we'll allow our men to be raped, we'll allow all of us to be completely harmed and at the mercy of a government where we're supposed to have, and here comes my libertarian plea, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I don't care what your happiness is. It doesn't have to be mine. That's not what the country was built on. I'm sorry, Joe, but you know me. I get I get going, man, and I, uh, I'm just ready to go. Yeah, you, know, you know, I mean, I, honestly, I, I it's just not idea. right, man. There's none, no justice. There is no justice. Well, and that's, you know, that's why... One by one, we're gathering a team of, of, of dedicated freedom fighters. You know, activists has become a watered-down word. I don't even, I don't even really, somebody says, oh, I'm an activist. I'm like, yeah, what does that mean? You sit on Facebook and, and rattle your, your keyboard? You know, I mean, it's not that there aren't activists, but I think freedom fighters is more of a, is a, is a, is a term for who we are. And the people that have gathered together with this organization, we are, actually fighting for freedom and that's a that's 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 the gist of what we're about you know we're a a civil rights organization we're a human rights organization and we still have a lot of work to do and and that's you know that's the key yep Uh, absolutely listen when minorities are the uh quintessential victim uh when it comes to this plant and then they're in every way, shape, or form blocked or have a, a hurdle or something put in their way for them to get into the business that their people have suffered so much, you know, so much hardship for. That, to me, is just another injustice, and it was a big part of the cannabis plague with uh, Leo Bridgewater. And if you all don't know Leo, look Leo up. Leo's a really good guy. Um, and, Joe, to your point on that, too, I made – a, I made that statement during my speech if everybody hasn't had the chance to look at it. I said activism has the word active in it. If you're not being active, you aren't doing anything. So you know, we all have to get up. We can't, we can't show up at these events. This is what happens, okay? You know, you got, you know, and, and I, don't, I don't like to cut down events because, listen, the events are there for a reason, and I, you know, I enjoy them from time to time. But you go to these events, and there's thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And they're there to buy a pretty bong, or they're there to see who carries what, or they're just to take a picture, or, you know, Tommy Chong might be there, I might get my picture with them, and this, that, anything. And then they go home, go to work, and the same mundane lifestyle and everything else that they go through and don't do a damn thing about it but complain. Mm -hmm. You know, we can't complain anymore. We have to take action. We have to take action. This is going to take effort on the part of every single last one of us, and that's why we're walking across the United States. Right. You know, we're, we're walking across the United States because I'm telling you, man, I will shake everybody's hand, stop, I mean, you know, or talk as I go by or whatever I can do, but 
This has to be a total show of solidarity. People say, I can't walk. I don't expect you to walk. Step outside your front door and wave. Say hello. Throw us a bandana. We'll make a, well, you know, we'll make quilts or something out of them. You make know, me a sandwich. right? You know, make me a sandwich. Right? You know what I mean? Give me a glass of water. I don't care. Just show some support. And if we can get an ant trail uh, of sorts across this country of people just showing, hey, we aren't going to put up with this no, shit we're anymore. Done. We're done with your bad decision making for us. All these years of and, and really, I mean, all these years of, of just bad choices, it's done. We have to take accountability of our health care, and that's what we're doing. We're taking control over our being, period. Mm-hmm. They, they suck at it. And not only that, let, let's, just look at, let's just look at it in the, simplistic, in the most simplistic form that we possibly can. We have a plant that was bastardized and taken from us from ignorance, racism, and political, and political worry that they, we wouldn't need them any longer. Okay, Endo, listen, cannabinoidal deficiency is running wild, and it has no way it can. For 100 years almost, the plant has been taken from our soil, from our foods, from our clothing, from our health care, from everything. A endocannabinoid system means that you have an androgynous system within your body that creates polycannabinoids that match the plant. We need the plant to keep us healthy and to stimulate our bodies to produce these cannabinoids on their own. And when we can't, we replenish them naturally. But the fact of the matter is that is too simple for our government. We would be healthy without them. And that is the and that's the problem. The old last thing I want to talk about really fast, Joe, and I promise I'll make it really fast, is the government <laughs> patting himself on the back this goddamn week for suing opiate opiate companies or or, or hold them accountable. You, excuse my language, guys. Here it comes. You son of a fucking bitches. You supported it. You backed them. You did everything you could to keep them as strong as they could freaking possibly be. People suffered, you bastards. We're the ones hurting. We're the ones that are still suffering. We've lost brothers and sisters and everything to cancer. We people suffered for years with no reason. And you're going to act like the goddamn hero? Pat yourself on the back like the FDA when they take shit that they put on the shelves that's killing people. This is so hypocritical, and we can't stand for it any longer. And we're electing these people, folks. We are. We're electing them. And don't tell me, oh, well, no, they said, I, well, if they don't do, then you don't reelect them. Come on, man. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Mm-hmm. <sighs> All right, well, I, I try to raise my blood pressure about 50 points. I wish more people would have a little fire in their belly. Well, let's, let's say somebody wanted to connect with you and be part of the solidarity over separation chapter of the human solution in New York, how would they get a hold of absolutely, you? Absolutely easy, guys. We're very easily found on Facebook at Solidarity Over Separation, the New York chapter of the Human Solution International. You can also go to www.canowetalk42small-o.com. We and me and Helen offer our services on everything a daily basis. Website, Please, everything that's offered. there is there. Industry associates are all in there, Joe, and you'll see Joe and a bunch They're of other people contacted. that we deal with. All of our contact information is on there as well. And my phone number personally is 
522-3162, man. We're here to fight, guys. Uh, why don't you join us? Join the Warriors. Awesome. Pete and Helen Yapel, folks, two of the finest folks you could ever know. Awesome. We all love right. y'all. We'll talk, talk to you soon, guys. man. Bye, Bam. All right. So now we, we're we're running over time, but what the hell? I I just said to my wife the other day. I said, you know, it's better to do a one-hour show and go 20 minutes long every time than do a two-hour show and sit there 40 minutes from it over, going, gee, I wish that guest would have called in. <laughs> so, anyways, this is how we're doing it, and deal with it. So I want to talk about Michael Thompson again. This is a man who, who has done all kinds of good for the community. He's created a program to, uh, you know, try to thwart violence, gang violence. He's done all kinds of good things working, um, working with the community. He's been locked up for a long time. He'll die in prison if we don't do something to get him out. And we've done – we've been fighting – a number of different routes for the last, I don't know, I guess it's been about five years now. And like I said before, um, I used to talk to Michael every day, and I just, I, with so many things going on, I wasn't able to put that much energy into one person, knowing that this was an ongoing, long-time project. And a lot of the people that I had helping have since gone on their way doing other things. So this amazing person comes along and says, you know what, Joe, I'd like to take the ball and help you out. And this is something that I feel very strongly about and passionate about helping these prisoners. And I'd like to take that off your hands if, if you're okay with it. And I was like, wow, who would say that? You know, what a great thing. I wish, you know, nobody in my whole life has ever offered to take a burden that needed to be done off of my plate. And uh, it, it's been amazing because I didn't have to sit there and go, oh, gee, you know, so many people offer to do things, and most of them never do them, and or they don't do them, you know, they don't put their heart into it, or they put some little bit of effort into things. Generally speaking, that's, that's what happens with most people. But Dee Dee's put her heart into it. She talks to Michael every day. She's worked on I don't know how many angles of this, and uh, I'd like to bring her up now and just see where we're at. I don't know since Nadia's jumped into this, uh, what has happened. I did see this article, which was pretty well done, as far as I could see. And uh, here we go. Dee Dee Kirkwood, dear friend, and she's truly an activist, a freedom fighter. Dee Dee, welcome to the show. I know I didn't give you a heads up that I was going to bring you up, but I just really, after seeing that article about Michael, I just really wanted to talk to you about it. Yeah. Can you hear me? Is this good? I hear you loud and clear. Yeah. Yeah, good. Well, uh, Joe, because I said I would help you, it's it's just been like the journey of a lifetime because there are so many (laughs) twists and turns. I can't even, like, retell the story because at every moment uh, we just push another door open and then we push another door open, and it's all creative. It has nothing to do with really anything other than just let's come up with one more way. So now to bring it up to date, uh, we're going to piggyback about this awesome article that says everything about everything to do with Michael, prison reform, comparing him to like other people. And she mentions the nephew's name. 
Sheldon Neely. So now right. Sheldon, who you've talked to forever and ever, he really is all about not wanting nepotism to affect his own career. So he has done right. zero. And right. now he's running for mayor of Flint. So he's even, <laughs> and he works hand in hand with the governor. They are co-workers wow. as fate has it. So now with this article, she mentions his name as being yeah. his uh, the nephew and uncle. So all of a sudden, he's going to be forced to come out of the closet. Of course, we're sending right. it to the governor, certified male. And I'm underlining all of this and the Sheldon Neely part. And she's going to turn to Sheldon and go, Sheldon, what? This is your nephew, <laughs> the longest cannabis prisoner in the state of Michigan, who is now like yep. in for nothing. Everything's gotten cleared. And so finally, Sheldon is being pushed. And as representative <laughs> and a mayoral candidate, what is he going to say? Right. He's going to have to address it. So, Michael, this is just like as of yesterday, is like doing cartwheels. He cannot believe that finally his nephew, who never came to his side, and everybody goes, oh, but your nephew is the state representative, and he's head of the Black Caucus, and he works with the mayor. None of that mattered. He did not want to hurt his political career, and now he is being forced to be in the limelight because of it. I am so excited, as you can hear. I can't stand it. Yeah. It's Not a, only that, okay, so, yeah. that we talked to him, he lied to us. You know, he made us say exactly. that we just did this and this and this and this for, for years. We talked to this guy, and he assured us we had to do, go about it this way, and we listened to him, and we didn't yep. want to upset him. We, we, we went out of our way to follow his lead, and we did to the letter, and then, poof, nothing. Yeah. So now to bring it up to the very, very current moment, the judge that sentenced him, it was her name was Judge Fullerton. She was the wicked witch forever. She was the one that started this whole political thing and that he could not get out of this circle of all these people that kept being in part of that. So she just died. And so a oh, new person, a new, uh, <laughs> so I'm, So the new judge that replaced her is a young, white lady that works at, at, volunteers at the museum. She's just like youthful, happy, and she has, and she only has come from probate court. She has no history. And she has nothing to do with the old regime. She's completely a new everything, and now Michael has written a motion, a petition, and he's sending it to me that I'm going to include this article, include what he got as a block report from the administrators in his prison that they never do that just says he is an excellent prisoner. We are writing on his behalf, so I'm going to send that to the judge also. And so it's falling on new ears. And he said that this new judge has the power to get him free. So that's about to happen happen next week. I'm waiting for it to come that he wants me to send it from California. So it looks like a little bit different than coming from him in prison. So we're just going to keep going. But he is, he is so like that Neely was mentioned in this letter 
he's just like over the moon. It's just really like, because it was like a touche moment. He thought, you know, never, you know, is he going to get support? But now he's going to be forced, the representative, to, to say something. And what can he say back? I'm going to send him an email tonight and let him know that I just heard all of this. I think he tried to call me a yeah. couple of times, but if yeah. my phone doesn't pick up, I, I, I yeah. have no way to call him back. And it drives I me know. nuts. No. You know? Yeah. He but tried to call you with the Corby's, but that didn't work out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tom, well, yeah, it wasn't linked to start at all. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, so that's I know that... Uh, well, that is a, that is better than I had hoped or expected. So, I am absolutely tickled, and I'm just so uh, pleased that somebody, you know, you took this thing on, and you did not only what you said, but so much more. And you know, you're you're in such a small group of people in my life, of people that actually do what they say and and have the heart to to really just, you know, you're you're part of the. Part of the human solution. That's all I can say. Well, I am proud to be Joe, and I thank you so much because thank you. You got a fan Everything club over here. Oh, because you know, I wanted to say that I know nothing about law. I know nothing about prisons. I came into this through you, through my play with zero background. So I'm just saying, as knowing nothing, there is still shit you can do to do something. So you don't exactly. need to be legal or understand that I, all I do is a messenger a lot of times, just pass on information because I mean, I didn't well, even know how to spell penitentiary. So, you know, I was really starting from scratch. So that this has come so far on this journey, this personal. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, what I'm saying is anybody can be active in their own way. So there is no one way that's for sure to help these languishing souls. Like Michael. Absolutely. Dee Dee, remember when you first were going to write somebody and you asked me what to say to them, and I told them just write about your life. That's what they need to hear about. Exactly, Kathy. Exactly. No, I learned from you. Absolutely. I started from scratch. Like, how do you write a letter? What do you say? <laughs> yeah, oh, so yeah. thank you, Kathy. Yeah. <laughs> well, I do to hear that that's what's going on and uh, just know that yeah. uh, I I am going to reach out to Michael tonight and uh, let him know that I yeah. just heard this and uh, can't wait to yeah. talk to him and uh, see him in Excellent. person. Oh, Excellent. Like I'll give you an update, Joe. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Excellent. Dee Dee. Dee Dee Excellent. Okay. Love you guys. Thanks so much. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you. All right. All right. Well, Tom Corby didn't show up, so um, I need to send out a search party. If anybody has seen or talked to Tom Corby, uh, let me know, because he hasn't missed a show in a long, long time, so hopefully everything's good over there. All right, folks, the last thing I was going to say before we jumped into this is Tracy here. We talk about legalization. We talk about laws. We talk about licenses and, and all of these things, and I want to ask you, Tracy, if you had to buy your cannabis from a licensed dispensary, would you be able to get what you need for your meditation? Would you be able to afford it if you had to go to a licensed place only? Oh, well, I would have to find a license plate that, I mean, the license 